Amen. Amen. I got this kindergarten clock. It's for you guys, because otherwise I go on forever and ever. <laughs> so, Bible says, blessed are the merciful. <laughs> now it's Friday. On the longest week, we've been in a series on the longest week, we call it. It's the last week of Jesus' life that... We started in the beginning of Lent, a season where the church reflects on the passion and suffering of the Lord. Until we celebrate His victory. And I know we want resurrection. And I got to say this, Sunday, next Sunday's coming. <laughs> right? Next Sunday's coming. But today, tonight, we are still on Friday. So for the last few weeks, we've been going day by day, leading up to Easter Sunday, leading up to the resurrection. And what you need to know is that the night is darkest right before the dawn. Some of you are going through some stuff, and you need to hear that tonight. The morning star is coming. The star that is right before the sun dawns, called the morning star, it's coming but we have to pass first through some darkness. All of us have to pass through some darkness to become Christians. And there is an incredible book, especially if you like fantasy, pilgrimages, survival stories. This book kind of covers all of those things and was an early start on all of those pilgrimages, survival stories, <laughs> adventures, fantasy, all that it's called a Pilgrim's Progress. And the character, the main character, his name is Christian. And he literally leaves, it's all about him leaving this place called the City of Destruction. And he goes on this journey to Zion, to this heavenly city. And, he, and it, it, it's great, by the way. It's full of dragons and giants and dungeons and castles and all kinds of stuff. And... Uh, Kids love it, but by the way, in the beginning, to start his pilgrimage to the holy city, he has to go up the hill of the cross. But the problem is, he has this burden. He's had it since forever. He doesn't know how he got it or where it came from, but he has this heavy, heavy burden on his back. And he's thinking to himself, how is it that I'm going to climb up this hill when I got this burden on my back? And sometimes that's what this whole message of the cross can feel like. Like, I'm already struggling. I'm already <laughs> struggling in life. And now you've got this image of this cross. And i got to think about this guy who died for me. But what happens in the story is that he walks up the hill, and he finds that as he moves closer and closer to the cross, you know what happens is that the burden starts rolling off his back. And he starts to feel liberated the closer and closer he gets to the cross. And I'm praying that for you and I. I'm praying that, that the closer we get to the cross, the more our burden, the more our hesitancy, the more our fears about all this stuff would roll off and we'd find real joy in the good news that God came and he died for you and me, that he died on a cross. 
Let's look at the last moment of Jesus' life before he rose from the dead in the Gospel of Mark. And again, if you need a Bible, please take one of ours. We want you to have it. Sometimes we have a Bible at home. It's hard to read. It's in a tough translation. You can have, you can have ours. It's our gift to you. Let me read for us. And it should be up on the screen behind me as well. From Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Starting verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick and offered it offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Jose, and of Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. I want to point out three things from this account of the last three hours of Jesus' life. And the first is that Jesus, that in Jesus' dying breath, he breathes out scripture, and specifically, he breathes out the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 22, and if you were looking in the Bibles that we give away, that we use for our worship, those red Bibles, you will see that He is quoting the Old Testament because every time in the New Testament the Old Testament is quoted, it's bolded, which is super helpful. And then when you see where it's bolded, if you look in the margins, you're going to see where that scripture came from, where you can find in the Old Testament that scripture. And another thing that that I want you to know is that when you're reading the New Testament and you see that there's a reference to the Old, It pays off, it pays off to go back and look at the whole context. Because they might quote one line, but for the audience who was reading the New Testament, they were deeply and intimately familiar with the whole Old Testament. And they wouldn't have just thought of that one line and how that applied in that moment, but they would have looked back. And so we're going to do that real quick. We're going to look at the psalm that Jesus quoted, the last thing that he uttered. It's in Psalm 22. And the words will be behind me on the screen. Let's read verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
Why are you so far from my deliverance? From the wounds, from the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Then we can jump down to verse 15. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Anybody been there? You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I cannot, I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. So if you know the story, or maybe you watched The Passion, <laughs> you know that all this happened. All of this happened. Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet. People surrounded him, taking turns. They put a, a, a tunic over his face and started punching him and said, Son of man, prophesy, who hit you? They ripped out his beard. They literally did the things that this psalm was writing about. David, King David, was writing about the suffering he was experiencing, right? He was on the run, in the desert. There was a king looking for him named Saul. And what David is writing here poetically speaks of the true Ur king, Jesus prophetically and literally because he literally was pierced in his hands and his feet and they literally took his clothes and they tore it up and then they cast lots to see who would get it. These words that were written about Jesus were written about him a thousand years before he was born and right down to the details spoke of what would happen? And that was on Jesus' mind. And that's what he had strength to utter right before he died. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I want you to know tonight that we are a church that loves the Psalms. And for months, I have been leading prayer. It had been at 7 a.m. on Fridays and 1 p.m., now it's at 8 a.m. on Fridays and here up the stairs in the office and 1 p.m. over in the trailer park in the sales office. And most of the time, most of the time, we pray out of the Psalms. We pray out of the Psalms. Every day I try to read a Psalm. Every day. The Psalms are the prayer book and the praise book of God's people. And most of them were written over 3,000 years ago, okay? And so these things have been, this is a bridge, this is a bridge that a lot of people have crossed over. And I know that there's a lot of attractiveness to new ways of coping. And so there's all this stuff out there, like on mindfulness and meditation and centering and all these things. And all I want to say is that for 3,000 years, God's people have been 
leaning in to these 150 prayers in the book of Psalms, and it has brought them through some stuff. It has brought them through all kinds of stuff in life. And if the Son of Man, if the Son of Man, Jesus, had the Psalms on his lips as he prayed his last prayer, and it was from the Psalms, maybe we should be paying attention. Just maybe. If Jesus needed the Psalms to cope, and by the way, he did. He quotes the Psalms more than any other part of the Bible. Jesus knew the Psalms because they were the prayer book and the hymn book of God's people. And you and I, we need that. We need that. You know, we have been told for a long time the Walt Disney thing, right? That if you follow your heart, all your dreams will come true. <laughs> right? Follow your heart and all your dreams will come true. <laughs> and actually, what you and I need, more than just listening to our heart and trying to figure out like, how we can be true to ourselves, whatever that means, what we need, more than anything, is the skills to talk back to our heart to fight back with our heart because a lot of stuff is going to bubble up that it isn't helpful for you. There's going to be a lot of thoughts that are going to enter your mind that aren't going to be helpful for you and they're leading you down a path that ain't going to help you. It's going to lead to death and destruction. So what you need to do and what I need to do and what every single person needs to do is they need to speak back to their souls. And so they can look when they're depressed at Psalm 42 and 43 which talks about why, oh my soul, are you downcast within me? Why are you so depressed? My food has been my tears all day long. When you're angry and it, you, your feet almost slipped and you're angry at God because it seems like the people who are strong and powerful, people like, want to just do what they want to do and they get away with everything. It seems like the people who are trying to follow rules and trying to be decent, that they are left behind. And you think, I thought, God, you made this world just and right, but it looks like when I'm looking at the world, it looks like the people who are blessed and the people who have everything are the ones who take it for themselves. So you go to Psalm 73 and you realize when you say that in your heart and you pray that in your heart, Oh, I'm praying like a psalmist. <laughs> I'm praying like the Bible. And you, you, you get some sanity out of that. You do. And then you realize, you realize that that train of thought isn't going anywhere. <laughs> you realize it's not going to work for you. You know, the psalms teach us to fight back, to talk back to our souls. And we are in dire need of help. And when we are in a situation where we don't know what to do, where we don't have the answers, where we're sick, we get the diagnosis we didn't want, the person we love breaks up with us, we hit up Psalm 91. Amen, Bernadette? Let's hit up Psalm 91. There are 150 psalms. And they're not like the songs we sing on Sunday. Unfortunately, a lot of the popular songs we sing right? Kind of one note Johnny. But the Psalms will be there with you. They are real. 
They will be there with you through your darkest days. And their words are real. And if you want to be like Jesus, you want to pray out of the Psalms. You want to pray out of the Psalms. Let's, let's read Psalm 1 together. I want you to see this, okay? Let's read this together. One, two, three. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Psalm 1 is like a table of contents. <laughs> Psalm 1 is like the table of contents for the rest of the 150 Psalms. And what you see here is that if you meditate, if you plant yourself, in, if you plant yourself by the stream of God's word, if you plant yourself by the stream of God's truth, you will flourish. But if you put yourself in the way of people who don't take anything seriously ever in life, it will lead you nowhere fast. And, you know, brain science is starting to catch up on this. It's like when you've done something your whole life, when you've done something for years, it is like, you know, we just had all these nor'easterns and like the good parents took their kids out and let them sled, you know, go sledding. Uh, you know, not that great of a parent, so we kept them home and they were watching movies and whatever. But, uh, but when you go sledding, and we do sometimes take our kids sledding when we have the moral courage, energy, and strength, right? When you do do that, um, the first kid sleds down, right? The first kid of the storm sleds down, and it kind of creates a path. And what happens is if you keep sledding down that path, what happens to the snow? It get, yeah, it gets icy, it gets hard, it, gets, it solidifies. And what the scriptures teach us is that you are what you say, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and as you think, so you are. So when you continually, habitually hang out in a certain crowd and habitually talk a certain way and habitually do things a certain way, you are like sledding down a path a certain way and it gets deeper and it gets deeper and it gets deeper. And now say, listen, I want to, I want to try a new way. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read a psalm every day. I'm going to go to church. And then you get to the top of the hill and you put your sled out and you start going a different way for a little bit, but what ends up happening? At some point, you hit the little cavernous 
tunnel that you made your whole life and you start going the old way. You start going the old way. This is why you and I, we need to, like Jesus, I know we're saying a long time in this, but this is powerful. The last thing that Jesus ever said was quoting this psalm. He quotes the psalms more than any, any other book. Jesus was digging down his trench, straight down Psalm 1, straight down into the streams that will refresh his soul. Jesus spent his whole life digging straight, the straight down path for you and me. And what you and I have to do is that if we spent a long time and a long part of our life making all kinds of different habits and ways of thinking, we have to learn how to fight our old way of thinking. We need to learn how to go into God's word and every day, God help me. This is the great thing though, because you will mess up and you will fail a million times, but God, you will learn from the Psalms that God is a lifter of our heads. That he, he literally takes his hand, he lifts us up by the chin, he doesn't look at us, and he's not rolling his eyes at us like, oh, you screwed up again. You, you can't do anything right. He's looking at you and I, and he loves us, and there's endless grace for those who will fight on. So the first thing was we see right from this last three hours of Jesus' life, we see that he breathes out the Psalms. And the next two things will be much, won't be able to hit on as, as much, but they are deeply important. I want you to see from this text that Jesus is abandoned so that you and I never have to be abandoned. Let me say that again. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he truly is abandoned by God the Father. And he's abandoned by God the Father so that you and I, if we are in him, we will never, ever have to be abandoned by God. You will never, ever, ever be abandoned by God. He drinks that cup of sour wine. Remember that? They make a little stick. And they probably tied multiple sticks together because he's probably up there pretty high. And they put the little sponge and they got the sour wine and they try to give it to Jesus. And what is that? Throughout the prophets, we see that God warns his people that if they don't change their ways, he's going to make them drink his cup of wrath. So it's an image that there would be this cup and it was overflowing and the cup... And the liquid inside that was overflowing represented his anger and his frustration. And he said, you are going to have to drink this thing down till it's gone. And Jesus, who's on the cross, can't breathe, barely can talk, suffering like no human has ever suffered, both physically and spiritually, is offered up this sour wine that you can't drink. There is no refreshment. There's no tapping out for Jesus. They thought there might be. They thought he was calling out to Eli. 
Elijah, right? Because this just reminds us of the fact that there's a bunch of people who speak Latin around the cross and they're occupiers and overlords and oppressors of a bunch of Aramaic-speaking people. And they hear this guy shouting out and they're like, well, there's this guy I think named Elijah. He must be talking to him. And then they give him the wine. They're like, yeah, well, if he's this prophet, if he's this man of God, then he can come down from the cross. Didn't they say he was the man who fed 5,000 people at once? Wasn't he the man they said could heal the sick and bring sight to the blind and raise the dead? So why can't he just crawl down off the cross? And the reason is, is because it was always God's plan that he would be abandoned so that you and I never have to be. You know, a lot of people, they see this doctrine and they say, like, I wish this wasn't in the Bible. So they try to reframe it. And there are people who call this cosmic child abuse. Like, they just can't digest the fact that those scriptures teach that actually God suffered at the hand of God for you. That actually God was angry with this world. And Jesus satisfied God's anger on the cross for you and I. But, but it is, it isn't, it, we say, man, this, this story came from a, a bunch of shepherds in the Iron Age where like gods had to be angry and sacrifices had to be offered and now we're civilized. But are we so civilized? <laughs> are, are we so civilized? <laughs> I wonder. Because when I look in the news, and when I see the situation all around me, it seems like the old ways, the old saying that there's no peace without blood, that blood requires blood, that seems to be wired into humanity and wired into this universe, that justice is real, that you just can't rehabilitate everything. You can't rehabilitate the evil of the Holocaust. You can't rehabilitate the evil of murder. My stepfather used to brag to me when I was a kid about the people that he had killed. Justice is real. Someone has to pay the price. And the story of Christianity is that Jesus paid the price for a broken and sinful and wicked world. You know, as a pastor, a lot of times people ask me, well, what kind of church is this? What kind of, what kind of Christians are you? We really want to know. And I kind of hate that question. <laughs> you know why? Because it's always an effort to label you. It's always an effort to kind of label you one way so now I don't have to listen to you anymore. You know? And, and the fact is, is that sometimes people who call themselves progressive Christians want to delete this kind of stuff from the Bible. And you know why they do that? Because they care deeply 
what the world thinks about the faith. Too much. They just care too much about what people think about the faith. This is too strange. This is too hard. They won't be able to swallow this down. But on the other end, on the other side of it, a lot of fundamentalists and conservative Christians, right, care way too much about what other Christians think. Maybe they don't really care at all what the world thinks, but they are sure care about never looking weak and never having a wrong view and never looking too liberal. And we just, we just aren't going to be in that fight. <laughs> we just, we just, just don't, have, we don't have any chips in that. We want to, as faithfully as we can, as preach the scriptures, wherever that leads us. Wherever that leads us. And I want to I wanna close with the last, the last thing that we see here. We see that you and I, we can't just, we can't just say, you know, okay, Jesus died for the world. I get it. I get the theology. I get the, I get the, you know, the rationale. I get it. What you have to say is, Jesus died for not just a wicked world, but a wicked me. A wicked me. I need this. I need this. 